This week on Forward, I, Jules Turpak, speak with Isabel Bemicki about nuclear energy and climate change. This week on Forward. Hey everyone, it's Jules. If you haven't heard of me on past episodes, I would definitely tune into those. I said last episode, it was the last time I was going to introduce myself, so you can check out there. But today I'm here with Isabel Bomecki, whose alter ego, Isidope, is the world's first nuclear influencer. And I think she's one of the greatest communicators that I've come across over the past year. If you were able to watch some of her videos and not be familiar with the current culture around short form video today, They may seem a bit unconventional, but for the upcoming generation of voters and leaders, how she storytells is beyond compelling, and there's a lot to learn from her. So, Isabel, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, and I'm really excited to have this conversation because, well, there's kind of two folds. Because Yang himself, back in December, talking about nuclear energy, it's not something he gets into often, but what he said on the December presidential debate is, On nuclear, I agree with the research. We have to have everything on the table in a crisis situation, which this is. Other countries have had success with nuclear power, and the next generation thorium protectors have a wealth of potential. So that kind of states Yang's um, thoughts on this. I actually grew up like 30 minutes from Three Mile Island. So for those who don't know what Three Mile Island is, it is a nuclear energy uh, power plant that did experience a partial meltdown. We'll get into what that is later. It's, It's a rare situation, but I was born like, you know, two decades after that happened, but it was kind of always a location point that people would reference growing up. So um, just from the media and my environment growing up, I would often hear the negative sentiment around nuclear. But Isabel's content last year actually opened my eyes to other angles of the conversation. So Isabel, I would just love to hear what put you into overdrive to take responsibility in this space. So I had heard of nuclear power for the first time, not the first time, I'm sure I I had come across it before, but the first time I actually paid attention was back in 2015 when a scientist I follow on Twitter called Dr. Carolyn Porco tweeted something about nuclear power. And much like Yang, she was talking about molten salt thorium reactors, which is a technology that a lot of people are super excited about. You know, it was the first time where I stopped and thought, oh, wait a second, here is a female scientist that I deeply respect and admire talking positively about nuclear power. Um, I, I got very curious, but at the time, I didn't really have enough time or really you know, interest to go deep and understand nuclear power, because to understand what a molten salt thorium reactor is, you have to understand nuclear power to begin with. And that was kind of very complex. (laughs) Yeah, it was like a steep learning curve, which at the time, I just didn't have the interest really to go deep. But then fast forward to 2019, uh, when the Australia and the Amazon fires happened. I don't know if you remember that, but Yep. It, was, it was, yeah, it was very shocking. And, and to me, it signified, it, it shifted something in my brain where for the first time I saw climate change as a problem of now, yes. there's no time to waste versus before, you know, I grew up hearing about climate change. I grew up hearing about one day, these things, these horrible things are going to happen, but it always seemed like it was in the future. And, yeah. you know, in 2019, to me, that was, okay, the future is now. And I always also, you know, it's kind of like a childish thing, but I always had the idea that the adults in the room were figuring this out. And like people yeah, exactly. in charge, people in charge are doing something about this, right? You know, like we've, we all know this is a problem. And then I realized, well, not only is it here, but I guess I am an adult and it's time for me to do something about it. Um, of course, my skills you know, my background is I'm a fashion model. So my skill set was very limited in what I could do. I could, I'm not a nuclear engineer, so I couldn't build a reactor. Um, but just looking at my skill set and my online platform, I, I decided that I wanted to use my platform to, to help, um, you know, solve climate change. And as I started looking into the solutions, obviously nuclear power came back again. And I kind of had this moment of, oh my God, this technology I heard, you know, of, hearing about for so many years and I started doing some deep research um, and noticed that everything people think they know about nuclear power is basically wrong. Um, 
and that was, you know, that was another like revealing and shocking moment for me. And I asked myself, why, why is it that the real information about nuclear power is so, so different from the public perception? And what I realized is, well, people don't think about their electricity and people don't think about nuclear energy unless they're being exposed to it. And the way people historically have been exposed to it is like you said, is through accidents, it's through um, pop culture. So things like the Simpsons um, and it's just, <laughs> right. And it's just, uh, it just perpetuates this idea that this is a dangerous and horrible technology. Um, and so I, I just saw an opportunity for somebody like me to come along and try to explain and, and um, translate nuclear power to people in a way that was easy to access, in a way that was engaging, entertaining, really like in a pop culture way. However, pop culture nowadays looks more like TikTok videos than, yeah. you know, than necessarily a TV show. But yeah, that's, you know, it was a, really the, the realization that climate change is here. We have to do something about it. Like I personally wanted to do something and that's what drove me to, to start making this content. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And you're you're huge on not being just a keyboard warrior. You're huge on actually getting out there and taking action. A recent one of yours, you organized the creation of a letter that included nearly 80 scientists and academics, including a former U.S. Energy Secretary, to delay closure of California's remaining nuclear plant, Diablo Canyon. Um, and since that happened, Governor, Governor Newsom has expressed interest in delaying that closure that is currently scheduled for 2024 or 20, 2025, so very soon. How did that all come about, you know, and, and also just your journey. Yeah. From fashion model to doing this, that, that that's huge action that you're taking. Like what were your kind of your first steps and like, okay, this is something I'm super compelled by and passionate about. Now I'm going to do this. Hmm. I think the timing was correct because mm -hmm. I, I came with, came up with this idea basically at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay. I'm, I'm going to be a nuclear energy influencer because people like influencer type of content. That's the content that people naturally gravitate towards. Um, I'm a fashion model, so they come to my page for that type of content, right? Yeah. People follow me because they want to hear my, my makeup tips, my skincare tips, my outfit of the days and that kind of stuff. So how can I actually use that to, to, to convey this super important message so the time I say the timing was right because then COVID happened and I was like the rest of the world quarantining. Yep. So I just had all the time in the world to not only learn about nuclear power properly, but then also create, you know, this vision of this outer ego slash character and just start working on, on those videos. But it really comes down to knowing what you're good at, knowing what your skills are and obviously you can still learn new things, right? Like I didn't know how to edit videos that well, but- Really? You're so good at it. Oh, thank you. It takes me what? a long time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I feel that. Nope, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, one of those one minute videos takes two weeks at least to edit. Yep, yep. So it's just obviously a lot of work. And um, I had, I had, luckily I had the time because of COVID. So that's how- I spent most of my, my quarantine was learning how to make videos, learning how to make this content, obviously learning about nuclear power. And I, I think that the cultural shift is extremely important, right? The, 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 the cultural sentiment about nuclear power is what got us here in the first place. 100%. The idea that nuclear power is dangerous, that it's scary, that it's evil. That's what brought the industry down to a degree because what happens is you know, the super smart people who are thinking about what they're going to study next, they're not going to go into nuclear engineering because they feel like, you know, it's an, it's an evil technology or it's a dying industry. It's not um, a like a rejuvenating conversation to have with those around you. Yeah. Right. It's not a cool thing to do. If you think about it, like when, you know, when, when you're choosing what you're going to study, you're thinking about, okay, what can I do that will bring me prestige that will um, earn respect from my parents, from my friends, from the community. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you're, you know, all you hear about a certain technology is that it's bad, of course, you're not going to go into it. So you have this like huge, you know, uh, not lack of talent. There's still a lot of talented people, but there could be so many more if the cultural sentiment around nuclear power was positive. And so 
very, very focused, obviously, on the cultural side. But I wanted to do even more um, just because I became kind of a voice in, in this field. And I felt a responsibility to take you know, matters more seriously and, and go beyond just the online content. So, of course, um, spent a lot of time in California, um, learned about Diablo Canyon, which is California's last nuclear power plant, and learned about not only the history, obviously, you know, the fact that California is a leader in, in the climate space, yep. um, but also about the history of Diablo Canyon and all the political implications of that. It is probably the most politically relevant it is the most politically relevant um, power plant in the United States, nuclear mm-hmm. power plant. There were huge protests in the in the 60s and 70s to not to not build it. Uh, like something like hundreds of thousands of people attended those protests. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so it is like it is a symbol. It's a symbol of nuclear power. It's a symbol of of California, obviously. And when I looked into the details of why it was being closed, it just didn't add up. There was no technical reason why it was being closed. The plant operates, has been operating for decades without any issues, you know, um, super safe. So the reason why it was being shut down was mainly political. Wow. Um, okay. There are some, you know, the, the excuse being given for it being shut down is that it uses uh, once through cooling system to cool the plant down, which is it sucks water from the ocean. And then it it brings that water back certain degrees, like five degrees warmer or something. Mm-hmm. And then that is the excuse being given because that affects marine life, has some impact on plankton and, and some types of fish. However, and I understand that that's a concern, right? Uh, we, we can't just look at, at um, technologies through one lens. Of course, there are some impacts, but then the question is, what are you comparing that with, right? Like, what are the other impacts of actually closing this plant down and replacing it with fossil fuels? 100%. So I just I just got very passionate about it and, you know, called a bunch of pro-nuclear organizations and asked them, what are you doing about Diablo Canyon? And they all told me the same thing. They all said, don't waste your time. People have tried for so many years to save this plant. There were campaigns back in 2016. Do not waste your time. This is not going to happen. You said nope. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, interesting you say that. <laughs> well, in my mind, you know, and I'm not just being like a like a endless optimist who is just mm-hmm. like, no, I can make this. But it was just, I was looking at the reality of how much everything had changed throughout the years. The decision to shut down the plant was made in 2018. We didn't have an energy crisis in California. Mm -hmm. Climate change, it was, yes, of course it was being talked about, but we had these fires that really, I think, pushed people to to want more, you know, to want more effort from our governments. So I saw that the situation was different and maybe there was an opportunity to bring this conversation, this conversation back. And I think that now with Gavin Newsom saying that he's open to it, it proves that I was right. Because one of the things he mentions in this um, LA Times piece where he you know, opens up to the idea of, of extending Diablo Canyon's license is um, the energy shortage that California has. So obviously, I think the situation has changed and, and you have to be able to assess these things at different times. Like maybe it didn't make sense to launch an effort to save Diablo Canyon in 2019. Yeah. But, you know, in, in as little as a, as a year, things can change very, very drastically. And now you have obviously the war in Ukraine and how that's affecting public perception as well because people realize that we need energy independence. So lot, lots of factors go, go into it. But yeah, it's been super gratifying to see that he's open to it now this podcast is sponsored by expressvpn a few decades ago private citizens used to be largely that private what's changed the internet think about everything you've browsed searched for watched or tweeted now imagine all that data being crawled through collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record 
your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more. It's crazy how much cultural timing plays a role in things. Cause like, yes, yeah, something can seem so obvious to you, but until like the masses catch up with the messaging and find it compelling, it's like, that's when it's like the time to go in on it. And I, I completely agree with that. So when you talked about your experience, you know, you were seeing the wildfires happen and your um, sentiment towards climate change kind of exacerbated in terms of like how, how close to home it is and how soon this is going to be affecting us. It's a very weighted conversation on everyone's shoulders. And for the average person, you know, your mind goes to corporations and kind of these situations that feel larger than life in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And so something like nuclear energy feels, you know, just as, you know, nuanced and complex to the average person. Um, It's highly technical. It's highly dynamic in terms of the conversation around it and most discussed good or bad, typically amongst the highly educated. So when you were going in and learning more so about more about nuclear energy, what did you see as the major discrepancies and messaging around it that you wanted to tackle to make it attractive to the masses as well? Because you've been so good at communicating the messaging around it. Obviously, the, the biggest one is the how dangerous it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the normal perception is that it is the most dangerous way to make electricity. That's what people think. They automatically automatically think of Chernobyl, of Fukushima, yep. um, Three Mile Island. Even though there weren't, you know, any deaths related to it, it was an impact. It was an event that impacted the community. Like you said, you grew up there. You grew up listening. You know those negative things. So that's where people's minds automatically goes to. And that's normal. That's a normal human bias. It's called actually the availability heuristic, which means whenever, um, which it's kind of similar to how people fear airplanes, uh, even though airplanes are some of the safest forms of transportation. However, when an airplane goes down, you know, you see it on the news, it it makes the headlines, it sounds scary. And so people irrationally fear airplanes more than they fear driving their cars even though they're like the likelihood of them dying from a car crash is much, much higher. Yep. Um, so it's, it's a very, it's a very common bias. And of course, like I said, if, if your only exposure to a technology is the negative things is the bad headlines, it makes sense to think of it in those terms. However, we thankfully have um, data <laughs> that tells us what's, you know, what's actually true in the world. And when you look at the data around forms of, energy, you know, ways to make electricity, nuclear power is consistently one of the safest ones. It's actually comparable, very, very minimally higher than than solar, um, wind, or hydro. And of course, much, much lower than, than fossil fuels. So again, that was one of the biggest things I wanted to address was this myth that it's actually, that it's dangerous or that it's the most dangerous way to make electricity. A curious thing, an interesting thing is that we've had much larger hydropower dam accidents than we've had nuclear power accidents. There was a, there was a dam in, in China that collapsed and flooded a bunch of small villages, you know, mm-hmm. that went downstream for, from it. And it killed hundreds of thousands of people. Yet it didn't make the headline. We don't have a Netflix yeah. 
TV show about, you know, <laughs> we don't have, we don't have like an HBO special on the, on this dam in China. So there's something also that's very intriguing and interesting and it's culturally um, sexy in a way. Yeah. Let's talk about nuclear power. Extreme. Um, right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird, interesting phenomenon. But that was one of the main things. The second thing I really wanted to address was the waste um, perception. And yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one. You know, people always bring up waste. And I, I'm ashamed to say I've been working on a video about waste for two years. Um, not, not a shame. You got to get that messaging right now. I get it. I get it. Yes. And the format and all of it. I've been playing a lot with different formats. But you know, the waste is also something that took me a while to, to come around because I, I kept thinking, wait, but this sounds really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where I landed with it is basically you can't, you can't analyze a technology in isolation, right? You can't just be like, is nuclear power bad? Yep. Well, <laughs> compared to what and in what way every technology that we create has some downside, Right. Like renewables are great for some things, they have downsides. Um, fossil fuels have, have allowed our civilization to, to get to where it is today. You know, we, we've had tremendous improvement in quality of life for people across, across the world. Um, you know, high energy life is the same as a high quality life. So fossil mm-hmm. fuels have enabled that. However, it comes with all this problem. So it's all a matter of like, a comparing these technologies with what we currently have and and just being able to to analyze in context. So anyway, so the waste issue is okay, we have you know this incredible technology that makes a lot of electricity without any carbon emissions, but you have like a small amount of very radioactive waste that comes out of it. Yeah. The question is, is that bad? And of course, it sounds bad because it's so radioactive that if you and I came and touched it when when it comes out of the reactor, we would die. Mm -hmm. But how is it handled? Um, Has anybody ever been injured from it? How could somebody be injured from it? Um, And so when you start looking into those things, you start realizing that the fear is more of like this hypothetical, apocalyptic end of the world scenario where civilization loses, you know, the ability to communicate. And, and then all of a sudden you come across this, this cask, then you open them and you touch the thing and, and you eat it. And then maybe you die. Yeah. <laughs> but in reality, what it is, is like this ceramic pellets that go into the reactor to make electricity. After they're done, they come out. They're like, heavily you know it's it's something that's like super technologically advanced um the people who work at the power plant take it out of the reactor put it in a pool to cool for like five years and then take take it out of that pool and put in like this giant concrete casks where it's like bolted and (laughs) weighs tons so you can't just like roll up to a nuclear power plant and grab one of those things like this is like seriously heavy yeah concrete shielding casks that are so good at blocking radiation that you can you and i can literally stand right next to it and touch it and be totally fine we would not be a, you know any oh, wow. radiation would come out of it yeah hmm. um and by the way the nuclear energy industry is the only energy generating industry that is actually responsible for its waste so when you compare to fossil fuels, it's just spewing into the air. Yeah, people. let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, like killing 9 million people a year from air pollution, plus causing climate change, which we don't even know how many people it's going to kill, but just affecting the yeah. whole world. So, you know, do I, <laughs> what should I choose? <laughs> you know, this, this thing that's literally killing millions of people and causing climate change or this thing that sounds scary, but it actually has never hurt anybody or the environment and is being very well managed. That's how I ultimately landed on it. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's like a deeper conversation about what do we do with it long-term, 
but we don't need to get into those details if you don't want. <laughs> oh, no. So like what I found, in- found interesting, you brought up quality of life. And when I first came across you and it was like a few months later, I had gone to your website and you, you know, how you have some um, kind of basic breakdown videos. And the one was a I always get this YouTube name wrong. It's such a good channel. It's like Curse. Oh, curse. I don't know how to pronounce uh, yeah, it. Curse, you know, I, 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 I want to create a petition to change the name because yeah. I'm like, this cannot be good for you guys. Like, yeah, SEO, all that. Like, so I have such a good channel, but I just cannot like pitch you to <laughs> other people. But the video was talking about, you know, because, you know, again, for me, climate change is super overwhelming, but it kind of brought it down to four different things. The first two are, you know, it's it, it's hard because it's human nature at this point and population size and population growth and population growth as in like economic growth. And then the two other things of the four factors are things that, you know, we can change nuclear energy can have a, a big part of that is energy intensity and emissions per energy unit produced. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, yeah, get kind of mixed up of quality of life and kind of standard of living. So standard of living, you know, deals with the access we have to things, you know, humans aren't going to take steps back when it comes to innovation. That's just like in our nature, but, um, Your comfort. Yes. Know? Yes. But it's like this thing now of like, you know, you don't, you don't hate on wind or solar or any of that stuff, you know, that that's stuff that there's already a positive sentiment towards. So that's why you're focusing on nuclear. And I don't think people realize like how much we are innovating, you know, it, it's not going to stop again. It's in our human nature. And like, we have to fight wh- when it comes to fossil fuels and everything like that. We have to fight the problems that arose from, you know, human tech with today's tech. And that's where mm-hmm. nuclear comes in. So I'd love for you to hear about that. Like the balance of, you know, us be- still being able to be human, focus on innovation because you're really big on, you know, pushing against all the negative sentiments towards tech and you know the balance of how nuclear is there to help that. Mm. Well, I think there's a very common belief in the environmental community or in the climate change community that the way to solve climate change is basically to dismantle our society, reduce energy consumption, and go back to a way of living that consumed less energy. I think you know that <laughs> is attractive to some people. I think good luck convincing 7 billion people to do that. And I also think it's a bit of a privileged, out-of-touch position that usually comes from people who grew up in developed countries, Mm -hmm. who don't understand what a low-energy life looks like. Yeah. They have a fantasy in their mind that it's going to be this beautiful utopia and, you know, solar panels and rolling in the grass. Yeah. Rolling in the (laughs) grass and whatever. And it's not, you know, it's like, it's a lot of hard work and Mm -hmm. it's um, not having proper heating in your home when it's freezing outside. So you have to sit in front of a fireplace and inhale particulate matter. And it's not having a air conditioner during the summer and basically not being able to sleep because it's too hot. Yeah. And not being able to sleep has all this impact in our health. Um, it is women basically being condemned to working at home forever because they have to, you know, do their laundry by hand, because yeah. they have to do the dishes by hand, and because they have they just have to dedicate all of their time to doing house chores because there's no technology to, to take over that. And I say these things because these are all things that I personally experienced growing up in Brazil in, yeah. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, we, you know, I, I was born in a, in a small, or I lived um, for a long time in a small town. So it wasn't like I was super poor. It was just that that was the way things were done. And this is the way that things are done for billions of people in the world right now. So this idea that somehow we're going to reduce our energy consumption, I think is, first of all, sure, start with yourself. Like, yes, you're free to do whatever you choose to do, but don't force that on other people, especially don't force that on people in poor countries who, for the first time in their lives, like I knew people back home that saved money for years to be able to buy a laundry machine, you know? And oh man, when they bought the laundry machine, it was, you know, it made their life so much better. Yeah. So we have to be able, it's not just about climate change, it's also about energy inequality. And so we have to be able to understand and have compassion for people who don't have the things that we have. So 
The question now is, how do we create a high energy life for everybody without destroying our planet? Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, if we continue with the current technologies, mainly fossil fuels, then we, there's a very high chance we're going to destroy ourselves. But thankfully we have all these technologies, you know, and that's one of the reasons why you say, I, I don't hate on, on wind and solar. I think it's dumb. We're going to need all of it. Yep. I don't understand people who think that we should only do nuclear power all over the world. That's the only technology we should do. No, we're going to need all of it because not only do we need to replace all of the current fossil fuels, which is like 84% of our electricity comes from fossil fuels. That's a lot. Not only that, who knows what our, our energy needs are going to look like in 20 years. Like who 20 years ago could have predicted you know, we're going to create this technology. It's called cryptocurrencies. And we're going to need <laughs> like a shit ton of computer power to mine them. And, you know, it's going to create uh, emissions as high as certain European countries. Yeah. No one would have pred predicted that technology. Now, do I think, you know, is crypto a good or bad thing? I don't know. I don't think too much about crypto, but the question is, this is not the first or the last, you know, energy intensive technology we're going to create. So we need to optimize for a future of energy abundance, but that energy has to come from carbon free sources. And of course, there's solar, there is wind, there is hydro, there is, there is all this like little, you know, geothermal, some of smaller ones like tidal, but it would be absurd of us to completely ignore one of the biggest sources of clean energy that we currently have, which is nuclear power. Yep. Because we learned about this technology through The Simpsons. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Wait, what did The Simpsons do on it? I honestly didn't even see that. What did The Simpsons, Homer Simpson works, <laughs> who is, you know, not a very bright person, works at a nuclear power plant. He's an operator at a nuclear power plant. And Mr. Burns, who is the evil guy in the show, mm -hmm. owns the nuclear power plant. And he's always trying oh, to like, put waste in the city. Like that's, you know, the in every episode, I think, there's some reference, there's some negative reference to nuclear power. Oh my God. I th That shows that I'm very uncultured when it comes to The Simpsons. But like that's well, but it, but it is of course it's not just the Simpsons, you know. Well, yeah, it affects yeah. all these other things, like like the Chernobyl HBO show, and now the um, Three Mile Island on on Netflix, and all this kind of stuff. It's just like we can't ignore a technology because we've been misinformed through pop culture. Yep. For the past few decades. And and to that point, because you know, again, like I, you saying, I grew up thirty minutes from Three Mile Island. I didn't really necessarily know that there's only been kind of what three potential meltdown situations in history. What, what is kind of the history there? And then, you know, cause growing up, it's again, cause I would constantly hear references to three mile Island. It felt like that was the norm for nuclear power plants almost like kind of clarifying what the history is with the discrepancy, like the issues that happened with that. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm gonna do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right? And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now.
those are three main nuclear power accidents, right? You have mm-hmm. you have Chernobyl, which was yep. actually a very bad accident. Um, this was in the Soviet Union. Okay. Um, it was a it was a reactor design that doesn't have a containment dome. What that is is basically like a shield around the reactor, so that in case there is an accident, it prevents radiation from leaking into the environment. Yep. So the the design at Chernobyl did not have that. It was Soviet Union, so they were very hush hush. They didn't tell people that the accident had happened. Oh God! So people were being exposed to radiation, you know, for days after. They were like inhaling. Um, I think it rained as well, so you know they're they're obviously just being exposed to it. Um, we, you have Three Mile Island, which was like you said, a partial meltdown. No attributed deaths to it. Mm-hmm. And then you have Fukushima. And Fukushima is the most recent one. When was that? Um, As in recent? Fukushima was 2011. Okay. And like, um, yeah, for everyone, Three Mile Island was like 1979. When was Chernobyl? Chernobyl was like 86. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. And so we have this three major accidents. You know, in terms of um, death toll, Chernobyl was the worst. Yep. I hate talking about these numbers because... One, it's very hard to know the num- the exact numbers. Yeah. Two, I feel like it's minimizing the deaths and I absolutely don't want to do that. I don't sure. want to minimize the accident. I don't want to minimize the deaths. It was mm-hmm. horrible. I wish it hadn't happened. Yep. Idea in culture is that maybe millions of people died from it. Hundreds of thousands of people died from it. Mm-hmm. The official number of deaths attributed to Chernobyl, directly attributed to Chernobyl is 55 period. 55 deaths, including the personnel who came into the plant, you know, when, when the accident happened to kind of um, calm things down. Yep. So 59 people plus there's an estimation. It's really like, it's very complicated radiation, yeah, no, like really complicated science, but the basically the most credible estimate is that maybe t- a total of 4,000 people will die from an early cancer caused by radiation from Chernobyl. That's an estimate. It's highly debatable. Some people think it's exaggerated. Some people think it's too little. So we don't know. Yep. Okay. You compare that with that single um, hydropower dam in China that killed hundreds of thousands of people, Mm -hmm. right? It seems small compared to that. Um, of course, again, wish hadn't happened, but we have to put these things into context. Yeah. And it seems trivial compared to fossil fuels. Yeah. Um, you know, which yeah, is- like I, that's always like the thing. It's like, you know, the senti- negative sentiment, but it's like, we are predominantly using fossil fuels right now. Like, what is this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the conversation is because, well, we don't need nuclear power, you know, in we addition. should just do other things. We should just do renewables. I don't think that's, I don't think that has proven to be true in mm-hmm. the past few decades. Um, quite the opposite. I think that we've seen that we need something like nuclear power to, yeah. to work with renewables. And then you have, but then back to the accidents, you have Fukushima, which, you know, is the most recent one. Um, some people died from the evacuation from uh-huh you know, whenever the plant, and by the way, this accident was, some people say, you know, Tapco, the company that runs it, was was warned of something like this for mm. many, many years, because they, basically what happened was there was this giant earthquake, probably the biggest in Japan. Um, the earthquake made the reactor shut down like it's supposed to, like it's designed to do. And the reactor was shut down, but you need, you still need water to cool the system down because it's pretty hot. And if it keeps getting hotter, 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 you can, you can create like a, an explosion, a hydrogen explosion, or you can create a meltdown. Yep. Um, so in the case of Fukushima, the, the earthquake shut down the react, the, all the reactors. Um, however, then the soon, and the, the diesel generators, which are supposed to keep pumping the water were working properly. But then this 
a tsunami came and the tsunami inundated the, the basement level, which is where all the diesel generators were. And so that damaged the diesel generators and they couldn't pump cooling, you know, water into, into the reactors. And so they kept getting hotter, hotter, hotter. There was an, a hydrogen buildup and explosion. And that's what, you know, that, that was the accident. The interesting thing is um, there was another plant that was actually closer to the epicenter of the earthquake that got equally hit by the earthquake and a tsunami, but their, their seawall was higher than Fukushima's. And so the, the reactors shut down properly, the diesel generators kept cooling the system and everything was fine. And in Fukushima's case, they had been warned for, for many, many years that their seawall was too low. All right. So basically, if there was a tsunami, it could cause exactly the problem that, that you know, had been caused. So then you have all these you know, you have all these people being evacuated. Some of them died in the evacuation process. Um, there's one death that has been attributed to exposure, exposure to radiation from Fukushima, from a worker who was at the plant at the time. And he died in like 2016 or something from lung cancer or something like that. But there's, um, you know, there are no projections of more people dying from exposure to radiation. And now I think actually this, this week, people have been given um, green lights to go back to their, to their homes in a lot of the evacuation zones in Fukushima. So you have this, you know, three accidents, um, very scary. Yep. You know, people had to be evacuated. People lost their homes. I, I think they're bad, obviously. Um, I think that, you know, thinking that nuclear power is actually the second largest source of clean energy in the world, um, right after hydro, hydropower, and comparing to, to fossil fuels, it doesn't seem as bad. <laughs> yeah. But of how, course, many, how many uh, plants are there in the U.S.? There are 98 reactors. I'm not sure exactly how many plants. plants. Oh, okay, okay. Because some plants have two reactors, some have one, yeah. but there are like 98. Cool. Um, okay. So yeah, you have like 90, you had, you had like over a hundred at some point, a hundred reactors in the U S for, you know, years. over yeah. 40 years mm -hmm. and you had one accident that yeah. didn't cause any deaths. France has never had any major accidents um several countries um and so yeah i think it i think it sounds bad um the goal should be zero accidents for sure but i think in context it's still better than what we have now and what countries are kind of more so fully deep diving in nuclear energy right now and that you're, you're kind of looking to as a good point of reference or none. Unfortunately, Russia and China. Oh, okay, very, makes sense. <laughs> very big. Yes, they're they're kind of leading in mm -hmm. in terms of building and also exporting the technology. So China plans on building 150 reactors in the next 15 years. Jesus, which is absurd. Yes, but they're getting very good at building them fast and cheaper. Obviously. Mm -hmm. Um. France is now changing the tone and they're back. You know, France is one of the biggest nuclear countries in the world, actually. They get 75% of their electricity from nuclear power. Wow. And they kind of turned away from it for a while, basically influenced by Germany. And now with the energy crisis in Europe, plus the Russia-Ukraine war, they're, they're coming back to nuclear power. So that's exciting to see as well. But those are some of the biggest, kind. I mean, Poland now wants to build nuclear reactors. Poland is primarily coal, which is the worst of all, you know, possible energy sources. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I can't even believe that we're still burning things. To it, it, yeah, it feels like, I don't know. It just reminds me of, yeah, like early 1900s. <laughs> yeah. just so not, prehistoric. Uh, yeah. Like really? Mm -hmm. Like we burn dead um, plants and and dinosaurs 
Yeah. Actually, I got called out because I put posted a meme about like uh, fossil fuels being dinosaurs, and oh. people were like, "It's actually most mostly plants." I'm like, "Okay, I'm sorry." <laughs> Never saying that again. <laughs> You know, before diving nuclear energy, it was something that you you were, um, you know, presented to and you ended up going back to it. But when it comes to climate change and when you're first seeing like the wildfires, again, I think like people, it's crazy how desensitized everyone is coming to things because, you know, the news cycle and the trend cycle is so quick. And it's like, you know, the climate change conversation is by no means a, a part of the trend cycle. And uh, what, what was it, last month or two months ago, it was like the NASA scientist Peter Kalmus uh, protested fossil fuels by blocking the entrance to a J.P. Morgan Chase building in L.A. And J- for everyone, like J.P. Morgan Chase is known as like the worst fossil fuel bank in the world. They financed uh, $51 billion worth of fossil fuels in 2020. So that was actually, you know, in the headlines for a decent week. But again, it kind of fizzles out what were what was like the media that you consumed that really made you realize you know this is something i need to act on now this is whether it's uh, whether people want to be really a part of it like you are but like just something that really made you like internalize the reality of what's going on i can't think exactly of one thing for me it was just the images of the fires it was it was especially a video of this native brazilian woman in tears you know her village had been burned and um for me, it was the visual of the fires that that triggered that thing. And that's the thing, though. You, you don't know. Like, the brain is so fascinating. And we don't know why the neurons make connections in the way and the time that they do. But sometimes yeah. you can hear about something for many, many years. You can hear about a problem for a decade. And you just, eh, don't think about it too much. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, this idea comes. And just connects yeah, for me, I think just the images of the fires were, I think images are very powerful. Mm-hmm. So an immersive more, experience of the situation. So much more than words and numbers, you know, having, which is why also nuclear accidents are very dramatic. You know, you have these images of explosions and, and um, yeah, the fires were like what, what really triggered me. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I've had recent personal beef with away from like kind of nuclear energy, but talking about the climate change conversation, you've mentioned in your videos, for example, what, what is like the fashion industries, for example, contribution to, you know, the current climate change situation. And they're not the worst, yeah. you know, obviously like energy production, transportation, those are the big ones. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But of course the fashion industry does, does contribute and it, it's, it's just a really hard one because especially now with Instagram. Yeah. Especially TikTok. Instagram, TikTok as well. But I feel like Instagram is much worse in like shoving products mm-hmm. and influencers just posting pictures with different outfits every day. And the what's what's the name um, of the videos where they try a bunch of stuff on? The halls. The halls. <laughs> you know, man, those halls, they're cool, <laughs> but like... Like, sure, you're going to buy some other, you know, outfit or skirt from like a fast fashion company. Well, yeah, but like that's hard. Yeah, that's why I th- like, I really wanted to talk to you about this, because, of course, you're a fashion model. You have res- much respect for the industry. I have a lot of respect for the inter- industry. I have like friends that are just like, you know, super talented when it comes to fashion, like, you know, mm-hmm. creating pieces and everything. But, yeah, there is this side of the Internet that has really exacerbated, yeah, the the fast fashion industry. And, and it's weird amongst young people because, you know, climate change is a huge conversation amongst young people. And then there's this contradiction of, um, I think you had seen my tweet on this. It was like Shein is now, Shein, which is a, a fast fashion company in uh, China, is now worth, uh, has a $100 billion valuation That's and it. it's grown like crazy. And the predominant target audience is Gen Z. They say that loud and clear. So it's like this weird contradiction. And I don't know. That's like super overwhelming to me. Like it's something you look at and you're like, uh, but like, I would love to hear like your relationship and approaching it. Like you have a respect for fashion, you have a love for it, but also, yeah, that relationship of balancing that. I I find that fascinating. And to me, what, you know, the, the fact that Shein has, you know, it's one of the largest fashion companies in the world and their, their audience is Gen Z. Crazy. 
and Gen Z are the ones complaining the most about these mm-hmm. things, right? I think what that tells me is that it is hard to make these decisions. Yeah. I don't think people are evil. I don't think people are, I'm not perfect. I buy mm-hmm. stuff that's for not sure. the best for the environment. And you know, at, at least I'm not preaching about it. But but I think I think what that goes to show is that we can't expect people to make those decisions because it's first of all it's cheap to buy these clothes right like you you want to look good you want to look cool um you're not going to buy something that you're going to wear for a season that's going to cost two hundred dollars because it was made with this like organic cotton and has all this like this amazing supply chain um you know the people are being paid fairly but you as a as a you know as a young person you can't afford it Mm -hmm. so we have to be able to make those things more affordable for people and I think that that's where the fashion industry really could come in and I don't know what the I don't know the answer is because how do you make something that's affordable but that is also has good quality products in it and that also pays everybody throughout the supply chain a fair you know a fair price I think it's very complicated I I think the fashion industry one is very complicated which is why I'm kind of excited about things like digital fashion, yes. even though they're not something that you can apply for your real life and your everyday life, at least for online, for um, video games. Show. Yes, you can, you can use them. You can use that at least mm-hmm. for a couple of photos. So you're not, you know, just constantly trying to get new outfits. And I think it allows you to wear things like couture pieces that you would never be able to afford, but you're paying like, to $80, $100 to have a photo with, with like a super cool, crazy piece that you would never buy in real life. So I think that's exciting. And the fashion industry really has an opportunity to try and figure that out. But there is also no incentive because as you said, you know, this fast fashion companies are the most profitable ones. Yeah. So why, why would they? And probably that their success is the fact that they can turn out things very quickly and cheaply. So why would they be incentivized to, to change their practices? So there's like a chicken and egg problem. Mm-hmm. Like well, the fashion industry has to do something, but then also they're not incentivized because people keep buying those cheap things. Well, I think it just goes back into the argument of like why we need something like nuclear, because we do have to fight today's tech in terms of economic growth. Tech is at, at the core of everything. Uh, something like Shein is pumping out like I think a thousand styles per day or something like that. Like that that stuff's not that's not going to change so like we have to fight tech with tech in terms of balancing it all it's not necessarily fighting but making a balance and you know the things like wind solar everything the natural stuff is great and like you said we we need that in tandem with everything but it's it's not going to do the job fully so we definitely do need nuclear in that fight and so what do you kind of see as the core things for like young people who like me were really introduced to a more nuanced conversation from nuclear from you online. Um, What do you see as the core things to root for when it comes to nuclear? Is it keeping the current plants open and also vouching for more? And what kind of what else? What do you think? Keeping the current plants open is a no brainer. And it's like the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. And this is something that some anti-nuclear people agree on you know the the people who are anti-nuclear but are more concerned with with climate change will absolutely agree that we should keep every single existing nuclear power plant open of course if it's not safe if it's meant to be shut down for um, technical reasons no but in the case of plants like Diablo Canyon they should absolutely stay open Mm -hmm. because what happens right now is even if that you know, electricity output is replaced with renewable energy, which in most cases it's not. Historically, when a nuclear plant shuts down, it's replaced by fossil fuels. Yep. It's exactly what happened in Indian Point in New York, even though the state for years said it's going to be fully replaced by renewables. The next day, the, the plant shut down. It was replaced with natural gas. Wow. And it's still to this day, you know. So anyway, but even if you were to replace it with renewables, you're still staying in place instead of replacing fossil fuels with with clean energy. So we we cannot afford to be closing down nuclear power plants. That's the bare minimum. And then the next thing, in my opinion, is 
you know, if you're a young person going to university, like what are some of the fields you can study that you can work in nuclear energy? Yeah. If you are, you know, if you're in a neighborhood um, that is thinking about building a new nuclear plant, which is not really happening in the US, but if you are like, how can you galvanize the, the community to actually support it? Um, ask of your politicians, you know, like ask their position in nuclear power and vote for people who are pro-nuclear, who are, who are openly pro-nuclear. I think that was, you know, Andrew Yang's, he gained a lot of fans when, when he voiced his support for nuclear power. And I think yeah. the Biden administration now is actually pretty pro-nuclear power as well. But asking of your, of your politicians and then just, I think spreading the message is the most important thing. For sure. So, you know, if you don't want to do any of those things because they might be too much effort, just talking to your friends about it, um, engaging in conversation and telling them like, no, actually, you know, I used to think that as well. But when you look at the data, it's pretty clear that we need nuclear and that it's much, much safer than people think. So that's honestly all I ask of people who <laughs> have changed their minds, just start engaging conversations and try to change that culture. Cause I think it's one of the most important pieces. And when looking at the future of nuclear, so one of the quotes from Yang, like you said, was next generation generation thorium protectors have a wealth of potential. Yeah. How are you seeing like the innovation within nuclear? Um, just like get better as we go. So the thorium one is funny because it's, we have a joke in like people who advocate for nuclear power that you like thorium is the gateway drug. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. So most people learn about thorium and they're like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is what we should be investing in. And then you start learning about nuclear power and you're like, oh, this is definitely hyped. And like, like it's an okay technology, but it's not okay. the holy grail that people make it out to be. That's but funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really funny because I was one of them too. Like I came into nuclear for, because of thorium, molten salt mm -hmm. thorium reactors. Um, but there's so much innovation going on, you know, like a lot of these new reactor designs, they are even safer than traditional nuclear, which is already pretty safe compared to, you know, fossil fuels, but these are even safer. So, you know, you can, you can even not have people working in the reactor. It would shut down automatically and there's minimal risk of a meltdown ha happening because of the different fuels, different types of fuels, different like temperatures of fuels and, and stuff like that. Um, so even safer, smaller, you know, easier to build, um, cheaper. And one really cool thing as well is that some of these advanced um, nuclear designs can actually use existing nuclear waste as fuel mm. because existing nuclear waste is over 90% reusable uranium. So it's like 96% reusable uranium. So what people call nuclear waste is actually just like an amazing source of energy that we just haven't tapped into. So these new reactor designs could actually use that as fuel. And then the nuclear waste that you have to dispose of, which is already small, would be even smaller. Um, so those are all super exciting things that are happening now. I mean, these this are things that are being you know, designed and, and hopefully built within the next 10 years. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. A lot to look forward to a lot to root for. And I think, um, in terms of kind of a closing out question is more so like, uh, you know, life advice in the way that I love how you approach your platform online. You know, you're not a full-time content creator. You're using content online to, yeah, as a gateway almost to get your messaging out there, to connect with others in terms of what you really believe in. You also have something else full-time on the side when it comes to being a fashion model. I think a lot of, um, and I, I'm sorry for those listening. I, I say young people sometimes out of just like habit and reality. This is um, something that everyone can attain to. Everyone can tap into um, kind of like just how you're approaching online when you, you have this passion and like how you look at social media because kids today, I feel like look at it all as like all or nothing. Like, oh, I want to be a full-time content creator and that's all I want to do. And they don't really have this like backup plan in reality with the lifespan of a content creator and influencer is like, I think the average is like 36 months or something like that. Wow. And I love like your, your multiple faceted approach of like, yes, people will want to come to you for, you know, makeup tutorials or fashion hauls or whatever, but you connect all worlds um, of your life and create this really compelling and unique content. You know, you have a, a storytelling talent. Um, not everyone has that, but I would love to hear like your take on that and your experience of 
just really tapping into all facets of yourself online. Hmm. It's kind of the future of just work in general. Yeah. I believe that people have all these different interests and talents and a online education helps you maybe develop one of the more than one of those skills or interests that you have. And you can, I think nowadays with technological um, advance and the way people work from home, so you don't, they don't have to commute to an office, it allows more free time to do more than one thing. Yep. Now I have to say in my case, it's very unique because modeling is, is something that is very much not full-time in that I don't work every single day. And even when I do work, when you're on set, you're kind of hanging out mm-hmm. a lot of the time because you're just waiting to be, you know, photographed. Yeah. So it's, it, it is my, I think my case is very different from most people's, but I do see a lot of people doing, you know, several things um, that they're passionate about. And I think that just explore different things, you know, like when I had this idea for Ice Dope, I mean, it sounded insane. Yeah. You know, I was, I was telling people like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a nuclear energy influencer and I'm going to make all these <laughs> weird videos and, you know, it's going to be like a makeup tutorial and then it's going to merge into talking about nuclear power and people are like, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're like, are you okay? I have a friend of mine who... I gave a TED talk recently and we were talking about it afterwards and um, he, you know, we were just like chatting and he said, I have to say, when, when you first told me of this idea, I was like, yeah, honey, okay, sure. <laughs> and then now just seeing you on stage with this, you know, the branding behind you and all these things, like crazy. Yeah. You just have to try things. It could have been a huge fa- failure, but mm-hmm. that's also okay. Like you cannot be afraid of trying different things because you don't know what's going to stick. So yeah, just follow your passions, do different things and, and try different things online. Like who cares? Oh, in that, yeah, that TED talk, didn't, TED talk didn't drop yet, correct? No, not yet. How was that? You don't have to tell us the details, but just like the general experience. Oh my God, it was so stressful. It was the most <laughs> stressful thing I've done in my life. Really? How long was it? Like 10 minutes? More? It was 10 minutes. Yeah. But I was invited so, a month and a half before. Oh my gosh. Most people have six months yeah. to for their TED Talk. So I was invited a month and a half before. I basically had to drop everything else in my life and just yeah. focus on that. And so I would wake up every morning and just sit in front of the computer and type and type. I rewrote my speech 20 times, mm-hmm. including completely changing the the format of the speech oh, like no. <laughs> five times at least um so it was a very very stressful experience um it was a very interesting experience mm-hmm. because there were some people who were in my session or there was one person who was in my session I'm not gonna name names no oh. but <laughs> <laughs> this person I talked to you <laughs> yeah is, is very anti-nuclear power Oh, and they made it very clear when they came off stage by not congratulating me or, you know, so there was like some drama behind the scenes. Oh. <laughs> um, I made a collaboration actually here. I have a can. Yeah, I did a collaboration of a drink, like a mm-hmm. clean energy drink, but it was it was a great experience. And I feel like my message landed with a lot of people. Awesome. The best compliment I got afterwards was or it wasn't even a compliment, just a comment. It was you know, I used to be negative about nuclear power, but now I'm curious. Yes, exactly. That's all. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. I don't want you to be like, yeah, nuclear power. Like you don't have to be the biggest fan. You don't have to like drop everything you're doing. Just open your mind and Mm -hmm. start learning for yourself. Yeah, that's, that's the most important part is that curiosity element. Because if you're not curious, it's like everything's basically shut off. But if you're curious, like you'll listen to the other side of things. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. But um, I think that's all I have to talk about today. Unless you have any closing comments, any like last sentence you want to see say to people about nuclear energy and that you know about your messaging. Um, that's all I got today. No, I think I said it all. Okay, cool. And where can people find you online? Ooh, can we? <laughs> my last name. I have to spell my whole name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, word for letter for letter. <laughs> Okay, so on Instagram, you can find me at 
<laughs> we'll, we'll put it in the description. Huh? Yeah, put it, please put it in the description. I'm like, I don't want to bore people to death by yeah. spelling my whole name or isotope, but oh, you can go on isotope.com. Oh. That's pretty easy. Yeah, that, 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 that's the gateway for everything. I love now, I love saying gateway since you said that. I'm like, I love yeah, that. Yeah, I like the gateway. <laughs> Just go to isotope.com and go to isotope's Instagram, Twitter, and all of that stuff. And yeah, I'm, I'm not super consistent with the content, but I try to be, you know, mindful and, and making good stuff. No, no, that that's the last closing statement I want to say today too. Again, back to being, you know, content creator, influencer. I love that you are quality over quantity. We see yeah. a lack of that today. And that's why like people play into extremes everything like that. Cause it helps the algorithm. Like I, I love the quality of your stuff and it's really good stuff that lands with people anyway. So it gets that reach. So I want to say, I appreciate that too. And um, a muck of content today. It is very refreshing. So, yeah. Thank you. All right. Thanks Isabel. And yeah, everyone check out isodope.com and uh, her platforms. Thanks. Thanks for this.